What up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to episode 83 of the Spun Today podcast. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz. Thank you very much for listening. If you'd like to support the Spun Today podcast, do all your shopping on Amazon by going through my Amazon portal. You can do that by going to spuntoday.com forward slash affiliate links. Click on the Amazon banner. Do your shopping like you normally do, and it will not cost you anything extra, but it will help support the podcast. In this episode, I speak about Mayweather vs. McGregor and my thoughts after watching the bout, seeing comedians Russell Peters and Jimmy Gaffigan live, watching the new It movie, going on vacation to Myrtle Beach, and lastly, watching the Wonder Woman and All Eyes on Me movies. So stick around. It might be a good one. All right, Mayweather vs. McGregor. I thought it was a very entertaining fight that absolutely lived up to its hype in terms of sales, in terms of that entertainment value. It eclipsed the previous number one pay-per-view event, uh, boxing event ever, which was Pacquiao versus Mayweather. Actually, I just paused the recording while I was saying that because, like, I caught myself that I haven't recently checked the the numbers in terms of like the pay-per-views and and sales and shit like that for the fight because the official numbers aren't out yet. I think they come out according to what I just checked and read um, sometime this week. But I've been reading all along and obviously the hype leading up to the fight and even after the fight that the pay-per-view sales were going to crush the previous record, number one record for uh, pay-per-view buys, which was set by Mayweather versus Pacquiao at 4.6 million pay-per-view buys. And even like after the event, um, Dana White was has, was quoted saying that they're, they're trending or getting close to hitting 4.9 million sales, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it takes time for those numbers apparently to trickle in. I don't know how that shit works, but the official, official numbers are not out yet. Uh, a, a close source to to Showtime and, and the UFC, from what I just read now, which I just caught myself because just, I just had in my head that, you know, it, it definitely um, surpassed the number one fight of all time, but apparently it did not. So, uh, according to this source close to Showtime and the UFC, the sales neared the number one um the 4.6 million set by Mayweather Pacquiao at 4.4 million for the Mayweather McGregor fight now what I couldn't get clear on is it says 4.4 million domestic buys within the U.S. for the Mayweather fight for the Mayweather McGregor fight and then for the Pacquiao it says 4.6 uh buys so I'm not sure if if the 4.6 um, factors in both domestic and international, and then if that's the case, then it, it will surpass the the number one. But I don't think so because the article said something to the effect of the Mayweather McGregor uh, money fight is is falling uh, just short of the the number one spot of pay per view buys, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll see when the actual official word on that comes out. Uh, it's still sick regardless, um, taking the number two spot. And something very interesting, though. There's a, another article, but um, and it's according to a piracy tracking firm called TechCipio, T-E-C-X-I-P-I-O. And they track like illegal downloads and streams and stuff like that. And the fight was illegally streamed. 2.6 uh no i'm sorry 2.6 where is that 2.93 million times so that's almost another 3 million so definitely with that obviously would have uh, broken the records but streaming is at a point now illegal streaming of live events is at a point now where it wasn't obviously with the with the um packet fight but without whatever i'm not making excuses for it it obviously didn't win the number one um, pay-per-view uh, buys, but that is something very interesting to factor in. And aside from the 2.93 million sh- illegal streams, there was another half a million 
uh, downloads afterwards. So about 3.5 million illegal streams and downloads of this fight, which is fucking sick in and of itself. Now, I thought that Connor did great, and I'm, I'll get into the, the details of that in a bit. And Mayweather, of course, did masterfully like he always does. Now, I was very hesitantly, but sipping the the Connor Kool-Aid a little bit with the the whole narrative that he, if he catches Floyd within the first couple rounds, that he would knock Floyd out. That thought or belief, though, went away right after Connor landed that flush, perfect, beautifully placed uppercut on Floyd in the, I think it was like the first or second round, maybe, which once Floyd like walked through that, it was clear that, you know, Connor's either Floyd has a chin stronger than any other MMA fighter that Connor has hit before, or uh, Connor's uh, punching power didn't translate to boxing in terms of how in MMA, for example, he has like a longer uh, range to his strike. Uh, it's not, it's not, you know, boxing is fought in a quote unquote phone booth versus MMA, which is like a arm's length. So you have less, I guess, less power like packed in, uh, to, to that punch. But after, like I said, Floyd walked through that, I was like, ah, oh, no, it's going to be a, it's going to be a long, a long night for Connor. If something like that didn't seem to like stumble Floyd or something, you know what I mean? But that said, Connor had a very impressive boxing performance, in my opinion. I mean, to go in there for his first boxing match ever against literally the greatest to ever do it and make it 10 rounds and and catch Floyd more. I think he landed 110 times, which is more than Pacquiao or any other um, opponent that Floyd had before was, I thought, impressive. Um, he definitely gassed out, which we all knew he would, uh, towards the, the later rounds. I honestly thought he would gas out sooner than, than the 10th if it got that far. What I didn't like from uh, Connor's point of view was, which I guess you could like chalk it up to like muscle memory kind of, you know, used to like fighting in the UFC, obviously in training for that, um, for his entire uh, professional career when he was hitting Floyd like with hammer fists. <laughs> and that's obviously not like a boxing move. And um, he got warned about it twice, two or three times even, I think. But it was definitely definitely um, a strong performance, I thought, and very entertaining. Probably the most entertaining boxing match that I've seen in a while. And I don't watch boxing that much aside from like big name fights, usually which are usually Mayweather fights. Or like the Triple G Canelo, which was a dope fight, right? Let me speak about that, that real quick next. But... um. Uh, back to this one, just to, to wrap things up. You, then there's there's those that say that Mayweather carried Connor to the tenth. He allowed Connor to hit him as many times as as he did, et cetera, et cetera. Now that could be true. I wouldn't know. The only one that would know that would be Mayweather, and to a lesser extent, Connor. If that's true, then my opinion of that would be that. It was a calculated decision on the side of Mayweather to get the win, break the the record, you know, with the 50-0, and, and not have it contested as much as, well, I haven't heard of anybody contested, but not have it contested as much as if he would have went in and walked through Connor in like one or two rounds. People just would have, it, that 15-0 win would always have an asterisk next to it. Maybe it still does to a lesser extent. In my opinion, it definitely shouldn't. Um, but, you know, if he went 10 rounds, he got off, Connor got got off uh, more punches than any, anyone else, definitely caught him a few times. Like, all that adds up to, you know, it was a, it was a boxing match. It was a boxing match against a formidable op- opponent. And nobody can question that that fiftieth victory for Mayweather, and he has the the record, et cetera, et cetera. If it's true that he he carried Connor, then that must have been, in my opinion, like the mentality from like his camp. Now that said, 
regardless of if that's true or not, in my opinion, has, I don't want, what's the right way to say this? I was going to say it has nothing to do with Connor's performance, but, you know, technically it does because Floyd's performance, but but it just does in the sense of, of you know, there's two, two people in the ring, two people dancing, right? So one's actions influences the others. So it has a bearing on Connor's performance in, in that sense. But regardless, Mayweather went in with a specific game plan, like every fighter does when, whether MMA or boxing, you have a game plan on how to defeat your opponent. If you make that tactical choice, that conscious decision to go in there and let a fighter gas out, you know, quote unquote, carry him um, until the, the later rounds so that he gasses out and then make your move then, that's a choice that, you know, it's not something that Mayweather invented. You know, people do that all the time in both sports. And when a fighter wins or loses in either MMA or boxing, and, you know, if it's not like a, a freak, you know, act, not accident, but like slip up or, you know, if they don't get like caught uh, with something unexpected, it's usually their comments, you know, in the post-fight interviews are usually have something to do with the game plan. You know, our game plan for this fight was to uh, start off aggressive and try to take them down to the ground or, you know, huddle them up uh, against the ropes you know, hit the body, make them win, the, whatever, you know, they have a game plan, right? That's what the, they have a large camp for, they have coaches, they have different types of coaches that, and they themselves watch video on their opponents and analyze and, and try to piece together um, their actions based on common reoccurring muscle memory habits that their opponent has. Like, you know, when they throw this, their left jab, notice that the right hand always, um, they, they drop it a little bit. So that'll open it up for you to throw a right hook. So what we have to train is every time you see that, that left jab coming, get ready to throw your right hook. You know, like shit like that. So whatever, they had a game plan. So if that was their game plan and fighters and coaches and camps live or die by the decisions of their game planning and their conditioning for for fights then that truth if it is a truth shouldn't have any more or less of a bearing on this fight than it does on any other so that's what i don't like about the whole oh yeah but connor only made it to the tent and you know hit him as many times as he did because floyd let him it's like whatever floyd was doing there was his choice and he can't make connor catch him you know what I mean? He didn't walk towards him with his hands down. And I'm sure more experienced, or not more experienced, anyone with an ounce of experience in boxing has more experience than I do. Um, but just from a layman's point of view of watching the actual fight, I'm sure that someone with more experience can say, um, can point out the the sweet science of boxing. Like, you know, he fainted this way to make Connor throw the jab, which he intentionally absorbed and took to make the fight, you know, look more competitive than it was or whatever. You know, maybe there's deeper arguments like that that I don't see. But at face value and from um, fact of the matter perspective, Connor hit him more than any other fighter has ever hit him and had a more impressive showing than anyone thought he would have, um, at least, you know, those that were criticizing him. Um, definitely a much less impressive showing than, than those diehard Connor fans that felt that, you know, he would without a doubt, 100% just knock Floyd out within, you know, a round or two like he does with the, with, uh, most of his MMA opponents. And it was, uh, entertaining as fuck to watch. So hats off to those guys who made boatloads of money, and I'm very interested to see what the official pay-per-view numbers come back to be. Now, Triple G and Canelo. I saw, I saw, I've seen Canelo fight uh, a couple times. I've seen him against Mayweather, uh, but that was way back in the day. And I was watching more for Mayweather than Canelo, because I don't know who Canelo was back then. And Canelo was a, a young, young up-and-coming fighter then. Not the same fighter that he is now. 
and um, I saw Canelo against uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. And which he fucking marked him. And he just completely outclassed him. And I saw Canelo now with with um against Triple G, but I hadn't ever seen Triple G fight before. But I know this fight was was sold as and and you know the consensus was that it's two boxers, uh, both in their prime, um, actually fighting. You know, this is like what Mayweather and Pacquiao would have been had they fought when Pacquiao was still in his prime instead of five years past his prime. But these two are very much so still in their prime. Uh, Triple G, you can make the argument that he's towards like the 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 peak of his prime, uh, but he's not past his peak yet. And that was a really good fight. Fucking dope, back and forth, entertaining fight. And it ended in a draw. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it. And it was uh, the first three rounds, I want to say. Three, maybe four. Uh, was Canelo just being the aggressor and, and, and landing more than Triple G. Triple G seemed like he he uh, didn't have his, his footing or like his rhythm really um he seemed like kind of out of it from what i could you know from a again from a layman's uh, point of view and then it was it it switched it was more triple g uh throughout the all the middle rounds than it was canelo although it, you know it continued to be uh, back and forth back and forth uh, type of fight and then the last maybe like round or two uh, Canelo seemed to like wake up a bit more, but Triple G was just relentless. Like throughout the entire thing, it was just like walking Canelo down, putting him up against the ropes, catching him, and apparently that's the type of like fighter that he is. He's a, a Russian dude, but that that has that Mexican boxing uh, type of slug it out, come forward, come towards you uh, style, and it ended in a draw. Which, I don't know, at least me, I thought uh, Triple G won. Boxing conspiracy theorists uh, were saying even before the fight that if Canelo won, um, they, uh, I'm sorry, that if it was close or if Triple G won, that they would probably screw him over and give it to Canelo. So I'm guessing Canelo is like the new like favorite, bo- like boxing favorite, you know what I mean? He's definitely a more, I guess, sellable name. Um, I didn't know, like, I, I don't watch boxing like that, but I knew, I knew of Canelo. Well, I knew of Triple G, but I knew who Canelo was, you know what I mean? So maybe, maybe that's why, I don't know. Anyway, um, and it was, it was a close fight, but I honestly thought that Triple G had, like, two, maybe three rounds on him. And they made it a draw, uh, the judges, one of the judges just had it just wildly. At least two of them were like split. Was it split or was it? Yeah, I think like evenly split, but the opposite or something like that. One of them just had a. Uh, it's this lady judge. I forget her name, but she she I think she was the one responsible for like the Pacquiao Bradley, um, uh, Bradley victory over Pacquiao. That was like what? <laughs> like he barely threw a punch and he won. Um, which was a fight that I saw and that that was like sick sickening and um but she did the same thing again in this one it was like way off and in canelo's favor i don't i don't don't know i don't know what the deal is with that but anyway it's a draw and there's gonna be a rematch of course um which i guess in that in that sense the fans win because they get to watch it watch it again watch them fight again yeah it's pretty much it with that all right, so I went to see I went to Caroline's on Broadway with my wife, and we saw Russell Peters live, which was really cool. Uh, Russell Peters is f- one of the best comedians working today. Hilarious guy. He has a bunch of specials on Netflix. He's like a a comedy OG. He's been at it for a long time, and it shows. When when you see like a, a top tier comic like that, it's like you know you're watching a master of his craft. You know what I mean? And um it was definitely a pleasure to to get to see him live. And what something I like about Caroline's 
on Broadway if you haven't been there. It's it's a big place, but intimate big. It's not. It's definitely not theater big. It's not as small, obviously, as a, a comedy club like a like a stand up New York or the Stand or or an intimate. You know. Sorry, because I had to pause it again real quick. But um. What was I saying? All right. So Caroline's is not as intimate as a small comedy club, but it's also not as impersonal as a theater. However, you do kind of get like the best of both worlds, in my opinion, in the sense that you still can see a large theater act at Caroline's, um, which to me is like uh, the perfect like medium so I, I i like caroline's i like like the setup of it it was a, a a fun a fun night he well first off the the night started off great in the sense that like my wife pees more than than a three-year-old and uh we're always uh she's always like going to the bathroom like a bunch of times or whatever and after we sat down, like before the show starts, like she was like, "Oh, let me go one more time." She gets up and she goes, and it's like when every pretty much everybody's like already seated. Our seats wound up wound up being um, really good too, because if you know with Caroline's, it's it's well when you purchase your like the tickets for for a show, they pretty much add you to to a list, and you're you're brought in in accordance with the number that you have that you got from when you purchased the tickets. Right, and I think it's like a first first come first serve type of thing. And I think. And um it's like as you as you go in, you just like walk you know, everybody with an orange ticket, you know, come in uh everyone with a green ticket coming out. So it kinda like works like that. So and they they fill up the tables like with people, so you have you're sitting with strangers and stuff like that, kinda like a regular like comedy club. And the our seats were like dead center and like that middle tier after like the like that first like floor level and and by floor level you know it's not like a theater like orchestra mezzanine or anything like that it's like the floor level and then like literally two steps up is like the that next level that i'm referring to and we were right there like in the center um perfect view of the of the stage and there was actually two, two, like, I guess, like, famous DJs there. One of them was, I think, DJ Premier. And the other one was, I, I didn't, I don't remember his name. But um, Russell shouted them out. And Russell's, like, big on DJing. Like, he does it, like, as a hobby. And if you see his specials, he always has, like, two dope DJs, like, on stage with him. Like, one or two dope uh, DJs. And he had one uh, for this show also. But anyway, so my wife uh, goes to use the, the bathroom. She comes back with like a like excited look on her face and like a huge smile, and and she bumped into Russell when she was like coming out of the bathroom, and because you know he was like um, um, preparing to like come on stage, and she was like, oh my god, oh my god, let me get a picture, and, and like she got a picture with him. She said he was he was really nice and and stuff like that. So so that was cool. That definitely like made the night. Uh, start off on a on a good on a good foot and the show was was just like really good he's super funny which we already know i mean we've seen all his like uh specials on netflix i think he has like three or four specials on netflix i've heard him on different podcasts and and different shows and and i know i like his his style of comedy and it was not all, but um, mostly the, uh, new material, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe like, actually, maybe like half new material. I don't know, but I remember enjoying it. And some the most memorable thing about it was, and you kind of get this more with the, with the more intimate shows versus uh, theater shows where there's uh, crowd work involved and he's a master of fucking crowd work i mean even even his his specials which he does in films and theaters he does crowd work in those and it's not that you can't 
do crowd work in those uh, kind of settings, but I think you lose something because, you know, it's such a big venue that nobody else hears what the fuck the the person says. And they only get the information if the the comic happens to repeat it, like repeat their response or questions or whatever, which the better ones do, but uh, but some of them don't. Anyway, um, when you're in that intimate setting, you kind of get like the unfiltered view and like response of like the person that he's interacting with in the crowd and he's just like so good at it he like used people's names like weaved like people's names and occupations that they told him like throughout his set and like somebody that he spoke to in the first 10 minutes he he brought them full circle in like the last 10 minutes and you know just a, a masterful fucking unique one of a kind performance that you can only get at a like a live comedy show um and we had a really good time it was a good night hot pocket (laughs) jim gaffigan we saw and we saw him at a theater it was at the the beacon theater which is here in new york in the city on the upper west side i think that's the upper west side i know it's on the other side of uh central park and it's in the 70s like 70 something street so it's definitely more upper and wester than i'm normally at whenever i go into the city and uh the theater was was really nice like inside most theaters are though in my opinion i mean theaters that i've been to like for like broadway plays and and um and shit like that like it's they're nice fucking buildings like architecturally structured buildings you know like inside and like the design of them is is pretty cool um jim gaffigan was and is one of also one of the greats one of the the top comics performing today and he is one of my wife and i's uh favorite and although it was a, a theater, we we wound up having, uh, we wound up getting uh, pretty dope seats. We're in a center orchestra row E, and it starts at A, or I probably like double A. It starts in, right? Like they usually have like double A, double B, then A B C D, so whatever. It was like f- fifth, sixth row, and from the stage, and it was dope. You know, great seats. Um, had a really good opening act. Uh, Ted Alessandro, which I hadn't heard of before, who had just like a hilarious bit about um, relationships and women treating the men that they wind up settling down with the way that they treat uh, a live customer service rep once they finally get them on the phone or <laughs> like something like that. It was uh, really, really funny. And then Jim Gaffigan, again, another master of his craft. Uh, definitely did not disappoint and what was what was great is that because gaffigan i he has my only the only thing i don't love about gaffigan is that he repeats some of his jokes from like special to special like most comics you know every joke that i mention in special number one i kill off and you know, you won't hear them again, maybe in a club or if somebody shouts it out and wants to hear it, if it's like a favorite bit or something like that, um, then they'll say it again. But normally like special to special, it's like all like new material. Gaffigan has carried over, um, like some jokes from special to special and that, like, I don't like that part of it, but it's all great shit, you know, but as a spoiled consumer of comedy, like I want all new shit all the time, you know, to laugh my ass off every second of every special and obviously that's not that's not realistic um so i was i was hoping it was going to be at least like some new material uh for this for you know seeing him live and we were both pleasantly surprised that it was i think 95 percent all new shit and it was great polished like ready for special material in my opinion definitely in line with with uh his other specials that that i've seen 
and then after the show he which was cool him to, um doing it in this way after the show he came out for his encore like after the show was over um he, he you know left stage and wound up like coming back out for an encore and he did like another i don't know like five or ten minutes and it was all um like i to me it was new um but it was like uh hot pocket stuff because he he has like a super popular hot pocket bit that he started he started doing like different versions of on different specials and like whatever if some somebody says the comedian that says jokes about hot pockets like everybody knows it's it's jim gaffigan like that's like his shit or whatever there's a lot of jokes about food in general um but hot pockets was one that he definitely popularized hot pockets and um that was like a little cherry on top to the treat of the funny evening that was seeing jim gaffigan at the beacon theater with my wife who's always for me fun to hear her laugh because she has like a like a a loud distinct <laughs> laugh at least to me and um it's fun for me to see her happy like that the it movie my brother hit me up and uh told me that we should go watch it and uh me him and a friend uh did and it was uh a pretty dope movie i'm glad we went to to go see it at the theater i was i was i remember watching the the other one when i was a kid and being scared as fuck so i definitely like recognized like the movie I knew what it was. I saw like some trailers. It looked kind of sort of interesting. I was definitely gonna watch it, but but um, not necessarily like in the theater. And then when my brother hit me up, I was like, "Yeah, this sounds dope. Actually, should go watch it." And I'm glad that we did. For those of you that don't know, it is a it was or is a novel by Stephen King that was made into a movie back in the I want to say 80s, and I watched the movie when i was a kid and it scared the shit out of me was uh, a clown that killed kids and never looked at clowns the same way again i remember liking the movie but being terrified of it like you know any good scary movie is supposed to do but i didn't like see it again like since then and prior to watching the movie when i i, I saw like a couple trailers and stuff for it and I thought that the new the new clown I was kind of like disappointed in it because it, it he didn't look scary. Um, I don't know if it was like too too like CGI ish or or like what it was, but I don't know. Like I didn't I didn't have the horror from seeing that clown that I remember having when I was a kid seeing the other one. But then again, I was a kid <laughs> seeing the other one after watching the movie and shitting my pants for a large portion of it i completely flipped the script on that and the clown was scary as fuck and i actually went back and saw like a large part of of the old one and i never realized how long it was i I don't know if it was like a part one and part two like back then back in the day like when they 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 made the movie i always just thought that it was like one movie but i didn't know like how long it was like it's uh like four and a half hours long like the original and i guess that's why uh this one uh the new one is split into a chapter one and chapter two and the movie still was still dope the old one but what i did realize with the clown is that the old clown was not scary at least not anymore kind of just looked like a like a pedophile in a clown suit with fucked up teeth versus the one in the new movie which is like legit a fucking monster that just dresses up like a clown and shapeshifts and a whole, whole bunch of other shit because that's actually what the what it is supposed to be it's um like a a shape-shifting demon that shows you whatever it is that you're scared of so if you're scared of crocodiles he'll turn into a crocodile if you're scared of clowns he'll turn into a clown which one of the kids was um in the in the original movie and i'm, I'm guessing in the book which i never read personally 
but that's what the penny's worth, uh, Pennywise, uh, which was his name. That's what it is. What I did like about the old one over the new one is the the way they told the story. It was, or like the nar- narrative choice of the story was telling telling it in flashback form. So, like all the kids were grown up adults, and then they they flashback. You know, they they hear that it came back, like the demon it that they all killed or did away with when they they were they were kids came back, and you know they're they're grown up now it's in the past to them and then uh, they start hearing from each other like one of them calls the other and the other and the other etc and they say hey it's back we got to go back to to dairy and and kill it again or whatever and when each one hears the news that it is back and we can have it on motherfuckers they flash back to when they were kids and it showed the movie shows what happened to them um, with respect to it when when they were kids, and it tells the story that way. So it's a constant like uh, flashback, flashback, flashback to tell tell the story. And I'm a sucker for flashbacks. I like flashbacks in movies and stories in general. So so uh, I like that that uh, narrative choice. Whereas the new one, it just starts them off as kids. And the whole thing throughout is just them as kids. And it just, like, shows it in real time. Um, what they're going through with it and stuff like that. And they kill them at the end. And um, I guess chapter two is going to, you know, play more into their adults now. And now they're going to go back and and um, and fight it again as adults. And lastly, like, the unexpected um, surprise... Or the unexpected like plus um, for me was like the kids that that were are in the new it movie, which one of them is one of the kids from Stranger Things were fucking hilarious. Like I was cracking up throughout the movie, and it was just like unexpected because they're 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 playing young. I don't know, like that's be like middle school kids, and the just like cursing and. And just like witty, funny comedy, <laughs> and like their timing was great, and and it was just like like fun and funny to 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 see. Just like shit, like in in one scene that that stands out to me, it's like all of them are admitting like, oh, I saw it, and you know he you know tried to lure me with a balloon and. And he was in a clown costume, and so and somebody else says, "Oh, I saw him too." Like oh, when I was walking by the abandoned um, house, you know, he, he was trying to like call me in, and I didn't say anything about it before. And then the kid that that's in Stranger Things, like he hadn't seen like anything yet, and um, he just says without skipping a beat, like, "What does he only appear to, to the fucking virgins or something?" And it was just like hilarious the way he said it, because like a kid that's clearly he was like what like 11 12 years old or something like that clearly a virgin but him saying something like that was just funny as hell and it just had like a lot of like funny banter like that between each other like funny like your mom jokes and and stuff like that the way kids do and it was just like unexpected but like super funny and definitely a highlight of the film anyway that was it the movie and i'm definitely looking forward to checking out chapter two whenever it comes out yeah, I went to Myrtle Beach with my wife for, it was uh, her birthday week. Um, we went during her, her the week of her birthday, rather. And it was really nice just to disconnect from everything. Just like, just normal, the monotony of like normal day life, you know. Work home, work home, work home. And just like the your usual like routines and stuff like that. It's definitely... It just feels mentally and 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 even physically healthy to like get out of your normal environment, disconnect, and and just get away for a bit. So it was awesome in that sense. Like we, it was like a vacation where I actually, you know, when you go on vacation, or at least for me, 
I come back and you just feel like more tired and more out of it and more like sluggish and shit. This one actually felt more more relaxed and and like energized and like ready to get back to it type of thing, you know. So it was dope in that sense. And it was just a, a really nice time. We we went to a place that we stopped in last year when we went on a a road trip to to Florida, which I think I told you guys about on the podcast. Uh, but if not, just like in short, we took a road trip from from here, from New York, and we stopped in in Philadelphia. Did the whole like Liberty Liberty Bell and and Independence Hall thing. Then went to South Carolina, stayed there for a couple of days. Then went to Florida and Orlando, the Disney World. And then on the way back up, went to Georgia and uh, the uh, historic district in in Georgia I forget the name of the town right now off the top of my head where we stopped at the Wilkes house for some banging southern comfort food and uh, then uh, came back up uh, stayed in Virginia for for a night and then came back to New York but where we stopped in South Carolina was one of a was like a a dope experience we found this this place that's uh, pretty much like a resort and you rent a cottage and you like access to the beach a bunch of pools you get a house with a full kitchen living room bedrooms bathrooms like the whole nine it's like really nice really clean really dope and we we definitely wanted to go back and we did uh this year and just made a like a vacation out of it we did it around her her birthday she had a really nice time. I did too. We went to like a really cool like aquarium there, and which was crazy. They had a a glass, a see through glass, like a, a bottom bottom floor boat ride. Basically, the boat the bottom of it was glass, and you could see into the into the water, into the tank, uh, which was a shark tank. So it was like weird and scary as fuck. Uh, you have sharks like swimming right underneath you but you're looking at them like through through the glass bottom of the boat and that was really cool they had a really nice um like tunnels like a shark tunnel also where like where like underneath that same tank where we saw like the from the top down like through the glass where we saw the the sharks and you know a shitload of other fish and stuff like that um we went through the the tunnels where they're you know like we're going through that tank and the sharks were swimming like literally like all around us uh, which was really cool too because it's like you're surrounded on all sides you know what i mean it's not just like a a tank up against the wall like one glass wall type of thing we saw a bunch of like stingrays and and it was a real nice aquarium we we liked it I think it was uh, Ripley's, believe it or not, aquarium in uh, Myrtle Beach. We did uh, the mini golf thing, which is apparently a huge thing in South Carolina. Because <laughs> they have like a mini golf, like literally, I was saying walking distance from the hotel that we noticed at least like five or six different mini golf locations. Like walking distance. Like, I mean, like. Like bodegas are here in, in New York. Uh, what else? Uh, the name of the place where we stayed at, just to give them a shout out, is called North Beach Plantation. Which a lot of the places, I was thinking, are called Plantation there. Which makes me think of like Old South slavery. And I don't know if that's like a legacy name. Or like a southern traditional name or something like that. Or if, that, or if it really does stem from that. I should check that out. But I don't know, it just gave me like gives that word gives me like a weird kind of like connotation. But the place is real nice. And uh definitely recommend it. Uh we we did see we went to like the souvenir little like souvenir store thing cuz um wanted to uh, get a couple things for the beach. And uh we did see like paraphernalia with um the Confederate flag, which was a little weird to see but whatever that's a down south thing i guess and there's there's i don't want to say like a tinge of of racism although it is the fucking south 
So I guess maybe there is. Um, but it could just be me or us, like, overthinking things. But you do notice, like, people doing a double take when they see you. Um, or at least, like, when they saw us, like, when we walk into a store or, like, in the aquarium or, or wherever, you know? Or restaurants and shit like that. Um, but definitely no, like, overt racism or anything. I think because what I noticed was that there were black people and white people. But that's it. And there were there was like more white people than black people, but there's no there's no like Spanish, no Chinese, no Indian, no you know it's not like a melting pot like um, um, here in New York. It's more not completely homogenous, obviously because it's black and white, but it's more like split between that you're either black or you're white. So I kind of took a lot of like the double takes as people like oh what the fuck is that you know saying <laughs> like. To Dominican people walking around, but uh, that aside, it was a great time. Definitely, definitely planning on going back, and uh, I recommend it to to anybody listening that wants to take a a little vacation, especially like within the states. You know, it's cheaper than than going going um uh like going out like internationally, and you get the same things in terms of like beach and and good weather and pools and like that vacation feel and um i definitely enjoyed it and um um so did my wife and definitely plan on going back oh shit i almost forgot the the one of the places that we went to go eat um because i was telling my wife like i want to do like the the waffle house and and like shit that you don't get in new york you know um there was a diner that we went to the first time that we went and which was like off the hook and we went there for breakfast once the day that we were leaving um south carolina just fucking loved it they have like these homemade biscuits that that were delicious grits and you know you just get like that southern type of of cooking style of cooking and like we went there i think like three times and um you know i wanted to like try different shit that i'm not gonna see here in new york so one of the places which i know was was like a fast food type of type of place but we don't have here in new york was fuddruckers so uh, wanted to stop there we went there one day and you had a burger that was off the hook and i don't know how someone hasn't like thought of this or or well clearly fuddruckers did but why hadn't why i haven't seen it before because the bun of the burger was like a cross it, it was a bun you know it wasn't like an actual croissant like uh you know like the sausage egg and cheese dunkin donuts croissant sandwich breakfast sandwich or whatever um it wasn't like that like an actual croissant but it was a bun that was of croissant consistency it was like a croissant shaped into a bun basically and uh it was just fucking delicious with the burger it was really fucking good so shout out to fuddruckers went to some other uh, fast food place called uh steak and shake which i've had heard of before um i don't believe we have them here in new york though and they have uh, milkshakes that are zagat rated which was interesting for a fast food place to be zagat rated anything and um had a couple of their shakes and they weren't they were they were good but i didn't think they were anything like od special and um but that was a good spot too it's kind of like Shake Shack burgers. Maybe not as good. Because um, I put those burgers up on a pretty high pedestal. But um, but close to it. But yeah, Myrtle Beach was pretty dope. Alright, so I saw two... Uh, these uh, Just to wrap things up, these two other movies. Wonder Woman, which was... What I liked about Wonder Woman is that it was a cool movie it was fun to watch it was entertaining it was a, a a dope superhero movie it wasn't and like the protagonist is obviously a female character but it wasn't like these um movies like which one was it i think it was ghostbusters the the remake with the all-female cast where like the guys in it and the villains were the villains were all guys and it's kind of like a girls versus guys type of thing and the guys were like dopey and stupid and and it was 
it was like grossly obvious what you know like the i don't know power puff the opposite of he-man woman haters club but whatever <laughs> you know what was like it's kind of obvious what was being done but this was just like a good movie there was good men and bad men there was good women and bad women you know heroes and and villains both men and women mixed it wasn't just like a like a all men versus all women type of type of bullshit and that's the way in my opinion that when you want to get that that point across of of equality which i guess is what was the the attempt at least from from my point of view of the movies like the like ghostbusters and doing like all female cast remakes and stuff like that to try try to say you know women can do it too it's like no shit like unless you're like a backward thinking retard which there's no there's no fixing those type of people anyway you don't believe that men are are inherently superior to women in acting or you know you know what i mean so going out of your way to make it grossly obvious what you're trying to do kind of like undermines the whole point to begin with so in my opinion the best way to do it is just make a dope movie with a dope female lead and make it like stand on its own merits which it did and was fucking awesome and in my opinion that that was the right way to 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 do that movie and I don't know how I would imagine it does follow closely to comics, you know, like other superhero movies and stuff like that. But I never read Wonder Woman comics. I never wasn't really big on on comics at all, so I wouldn't know one way or the other. But I'm definitely glad that they didn't go the route of other, you know, female leading role or all female cast movies whose main point above doing good quality work and telling a dope entertaining story seems to be to state to make the statement of women can do it too type of thing all right and last but not least all eyes on me was the tupac movie which got a lot of shit got a lot of flack and i don't know what it is i don't know if i'm just a contrarian by nature which I think I am, um, but I'm not. But it's not. It's not intentional. It's not. It's not like uh, everybody likes this, so I'm gonna say I don't, or everybody doesn't like that, so I'm gonna say I am, like on purpose, or you know what I mean. It's not like a conscious contrarian thing that I do, but uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just fucking. I just see. I don't know. Like the counters to to a lot of the counter arguments to a lot of criticism or whatever that i hear and i i really like the the tupac movie the all eyes on me the only negative that i saw that from my point of view was like or something that didn't make sense was like the budget for it um i forget what it was but like they compared it to you know movies like nwa spend x amount and the super movie spend you know x amount and like it didn't make sense to like how much was spent on the movie but supposedly it was like to get um a lot of licensing clearance clearances for like music and shit like that but i thought uh, that aside like financial shit aside like the movie was really really good i thought it did a great job of portraying an individual um tubac from the many different points of views and influences that made up the person the gradient of experiences that make up any person like it did a good job of highlighting that i thought because nobody's all good or all bad or all anything and people are complex beings in my opinion made up of both nature and nurture and the nurture portion is a vast array of different experiences and unique experiences that one goes through throughout this thing that we call life and when people like i think was the beef with um from the point of view of the critics of this movie that thought it was a bad one want to take someone 
as like multifaceted as 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 uh, Tupac was, and put them in a box of you know the whole thug life image, and this is who he was. And the movie didn't portray enough of that. It's like he was that, but he was also this other shit, like all this other stuff. He was also a poet. He was also an introverted writer. He was also a frustrated wannabe activist he was also he also had the hubris of the audacity of having the hubris to think that he could influence changing the world he was also a good actor he was also educated he was also violent he was also passionate for every well thought out articulate logical argument that he made he also made ill-conceived illogical decisions to punch someone out in the middle of uh, a Las Vegas uh, casino. He was very much a product of his environments, and he wasn't just in any one environment. And to me, that was one of the main takeaways from the movie, which is that we are all many things and into many different diverse things that without rhyme or reason, I'm I'm I like listening to NSYNC and Eminem. I like listening to Jay-Z and Nas and Linkin Park. I like listening to Jewel and the Beat Nuts. And none of it, none of it is mutually exclusive. It's not like one or the other. It's all of it. And I think that's where a lot of the, the critique of the All Eyes on Me movie stemmed from. Because it did a great job of showing glimpses into each of the many sides that made up Tupac as he was, but didn't delve deep enough for them into each of these avenues. And it's a fucking, what, an hour and a half, two hour movie. So you got to be realistic at the same time too. A really dope takeaway from the movie that I liked was that they used, um, uh, what's his name? Big Gravy, I think his name is. The dude that played uh, Biggie in the Notorious movie. They used the same character to play Biggie in this one, which is awesome. And they should have used, just for consistency's sake, I think, they should have used the same dude that they that was, that was played uh, Snoop in the NWA movie. And in this one. Although I didn't think that he was like a good Snoop. You know what I mean? But just in terms of consistency, because I didn't think the dude that played Snoop in this one was good either. Um, but yeah, man, I thought it was a good movie. And uh, that's pretty much it. That's all I got to say about that. Uh, stick around and listen to some tunes and see how you can help support the podcast. And I appreciate the fuck out of you guys listening. Once again, I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and this was episode 83 of the Spun Today podcast. See no changes. Wake up in the morning and I ask myself, is life worth living? Should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor and even worse, I'm black. My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch. Cops give a damn about a Negro. Pull a trigger, kill a nigga, he's a hero. Get it back to the kids who the hell cares. One less hungry mouth on the welfare. First ship him, don't let him deal with brothers. Give him guns, step back, watch him kill each other. It's time to fight back, that's what Huey said. Two shots in the dark, now Huey's dead. I got love for my brothers, but we can never go nowhere unless we share with each other. We gotta start making changes. Learn to see me as a brother instead of two distant strangers. And that's how I'm supposed to be. I can the double take a brother if he's close to me. Uh, I let it go back to when we played as kids, but then change. That's the way it is. Come on, come on. That's just the way it is. Things will never be the same. That's just the way it is. Oh, yeah. Would you like to receive a short email from me once a week? You know that feeling you have on a Monday at work when you have absolutely nothing to look forward to except for lunch? Have no fear, the Midday Monday Boost Letter is here. In this short weekly newsletter, you will receive five things. One is a photograph of the week from a photographer, a podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts, dozens and dozens of podcasts, hundreds of episodes. And I cherry pick the best ones and I share them with you here. You'll also receive a video of the week, which could be anything from a rap battle to a TED talk. 
you receive a quote of the week, something to let marinate in your mind, and a word of the week so that you and I can both step up our vocab. So if any of that sounds of interest to you, check it out. Check out the subscribe page at spuntrade.com forward slash subscribe. Drop in your email address and you'll receive the very next one. For any writers or creatives out there, I have a questionnaire. It's a five question questionnaire that anyone is free to fill out. It's located at spuntrade.com forward slash questionnaire. And what it is, is five open-ended questions related to your craft. It's things like what inspires you to write or create whenever you don't feel the inspiration to do so. What are your favorite apps or tools or tricks to trick yourself into getting into the mind state of actually creating? What inspires you, etc., etc., stuff like that. And what I do with your responses is share them on a future episode of the podcast. Now, you can choose to remain anonymous if you choose to. You have that option right there when you fill out the questionnaire. And if you do not choose to remain anonymous, I give you a shout out on the podcast and promote for free whatever it is that you have going on. So I appreciate you in advance for sharing that with me, as well as the rest of the listeners of the Sponsor Day podcast, which would stand to gain from you filling out the questionnaire. Now, you can help support the podcast in a myriad of ways. One way which does not cost you anything and is most popular within the podcasting community is by shopping on Amazon using my affiliate links banner. So the way that works is you go to spontaneity.com forward slash affiliate links or just click on the affiliate links tab at the top center of the page. And there you will see a banner for Amazon. You literally just click on that and it takes you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It does not cost you anything extra, but Amazon will give me a kickback just for driving traffic to their website. So that would be a big help. It literally costs you nothing extra financially, just costs you a couple of extra clicks of your mouse before you do your Amazon shopping. The iTunes banner that's on that same page works the same way. So if you're purchasing music or movies or whatever it is on iTunes, feel free to go through my affiliate link portal there as well. If you want to make a one-time PayPal donation, feel free to do so. There's a PayPal donation button on there as well. Within that same tab, you'll also find a link to the Spun Today Viral Style store. Now, the Viral Style store is a store where you can get Spun Today merch, whether it's a coffee mug or a t-shirt that I personally designed. And spoiler alert, I'm no... I'm no Ralph Lauren or, you know, whoever designs Gucci stuff, <laughs> but I did create the design of those shirts myself. I have a couple t-shirts on there. One that says, for example, right need every day, which is a playoff of Snoop, Dre, and Nate Dogg's smoke weed every day. So it's right need every day with like a puff cloud of smoke behind it. I have a podcast verse everybody t-shirt and uh just stuff like that so check it out the link to the viral style store is also there you can also help support the podcast on a reoccurring basis if you become a patreon supporter now patreon is pretty cool and it there's a little um video explanation of what it is and how it works but i'll try to do my best to summarize it here Basically, you sign on to Patreon, which is a free service for your account, and you can support not just myself, but any other uh, podcasters or creatives that also have Patreon pages. And you can choose to, for example, donate a dollar to them on a per episode basis. So the Sponsored Podcast has two uh, episodes a month. So if you donate a dollar to it, it'll be two dollars a month, basically. And you set it up and it just happens automatically on a reoccurring basis. There are zero fees. You can cancel at any time. No hassle, no bullshit. And it's uh, it's a cool way to help support and is much appreciated. And also, it's not just like a, for example, uh, a PayPal donation, which is just that. But through Patreon, it allows the creator, in this case being myself, to set up a reward system, if you will. So... If you donate a dollar per episode, you are considered a tier one supporter. If you donate $3 per episode, you are a second tier. 
supporter, etc., etc. And it goes up to four tiers. And each tier gets different things. Like uh, tier one gets a free Spun Today bookmark and a shout out on the podcast. Tier three gets uh, gets those two things from tier one as well as a free writing piece that's not posted on, on my website or available to anyone else, etc., etc. So check that out if you will. And uh, visit my Patreon page at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash spun today. Another great, amazing way to help support the podcast is to rate and review it. This costs you absolutely nothing. Whether you listen on iTunes, on Stitcher, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, on Pocket Casts, on Overcast, on Player FM, on Google Play, on YouTube, on Tumblr, or if you listen on Podbay or any other of your favorite podcast apps, please rate and review the episode. It really is the number one way to help the show gain traction, gain exposure. You know, you could also share it with friends and family and tell them, you know, check out what this idiot is saying. Some of it is actually pretty good or it all fucking sucks and you should listen and laugh. But as long as you're listening, <laughs> it would be much appreciated. So rate and review the podcast wherever it is that you listen. Follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at Spun Today. Like the Facebook fan page at facebook.com forward slash Spun Today. Subscribe to my YouTube page as well. All podcast episodes are available on YouTube as well as clipped versions. For example, with the Random Rant episodes, you know, I speak about a bunch of different topics instead of having the full episode alone, which is also available on YouTube. But you also have snippets of the different topics broken up into more digestible chunks. So check that out. You can also support by checking out my book, Make Way For You, Tips For Getting Out Of Your Own Way. It's a quick short read if you're looking for some inspiration and motivation. And you can find out more about it at spuntray.com forward slash books. There you'll find a video of me telling you all how the book came to fruition, as well as a couple of audio excerpts. If you're interested, you can purchase it wherever books are sold. Kindle, iBooks, Kobo, in ebook or paperback format, which you can find on Amazon. Also, for being a Spun Today listener, I can also send you a free copy. Right there on that same landing page at sponsor.com forward slash books. Drop in your email address at the bottom of the page and I'll shoot you over a copy in the format of your choice. And that's all I got, folks. Thanks again for checking out this episode. And as always, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.